Good morning, church. Uh, we'll be continuing um, our study through the book of James this morning. We'll be in uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you will, please stand with me, and we'll read the word of God together. And it might be on the screen. We'll see. All right. So here we go. James 4, 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You may be seated. Thank you, Ron, for reading that for us. As you see, we're in the, James, James, the book of James, uh, chapter 4, and we're plowing our way through this text. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I think you're going to be encouraged uh, by the Word of God uh, today. Uh, the name of my sermon today is uh, Making Plans, listen to this, Making Plans Without God. You've made a few of those in your life. I certainly have, unfortunately. Let me start off by asking each of us a question, pastor included. Have you ever met an arrogant or a prideful person? Can you just think of that person, assuming it's not you, and think of that person in your mind right now? I like this uh, cute illustration that I picked up. It says this, that a lady uh, went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I need some counseling. It's needed like right now, and I can't wait. You see, Pastor, it's like this. I've got this sin, and I just can't seem to shake it. This sin is messing with me, and no matter what I do, I can't seem to get rid of it. The pastor, of course, was concerned for the lady and said, could you provide a little bit more details on this particular situation, and I'll do the best I can to be of help to you. The lady responded, and she says, yes, I, but I, I come to church every Sunday, and, and Sunday, every Sunday, I just can't help but think that I'm the prettiest woman in the entire church. And as I look at the other ladies, they can't even hold a candle to me. What should I do, pastor, about this sin? Well, the pastor replied, he said, honey, that's not a sin, that's a mistake. Pride, arrogance. So I pray that wasn't true. I hope it was just a little bit of fun. But, but pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the person who has it, how true it is. So in, James, in the book of James, chapter 4, we've been learning that James speaks with a great deal of intensity. He comes in hot oftentimes, and he puts us on the hot seat again in chapter 4. We, we looked at uh, his thoughts, or of course it's the thoughts of the Lord because we know the book of James is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we see uh, how he talks to us or how he counsels us or gives us wisdom as it, as it pertains to our tongue. We, we learned that in chapter 4. Uh, we talk about our mouths. We, we looked about how do we handle conflict and, and all the ways we should handle such things in a way that would glorify, the God, glorify God. But now it shifts a little bit, and he's talking specifically about the sin of pride. The sin of pride. And this is often missed uh, in this particular text. Specifically, Pastor James is 
addressing the self-confidence or the self-centeredness of a people who will make plans without God. A people that make plans without God. That's a prideful and arrogant person. That's what's on display here. But as we look through that, as Rizzi just read that to you, um, it pictures or depicts a businessman who has carefully and well thought out, he's planned something. He's planned his future. And what we're going to do today is examine the details of this man's plan. So again, go back to 13. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a, make a profit. The first thing that I want you to notice in that verse is, come now, you who say. Come now, you who say. What this come now implies is James saying, hey, hold on just a minute. Or, you've got to be kidding me. That's what you're getting ready to do. So the way that he speaks here is important because it sets up the rest of the text. But James is, obvi James is obviously not excited by what's going on. He's expressing his lack of approval. And at the same time, he's conveying a sense of urgency, like this is important. I need to tell you this, right? So again, verse 13, now come now, you who say, say what? Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend it there and trade and make a profit. James is saying, we need to deal with this type of person, uh, this way of thinking, immediately. Like not tomorrow, immediately. Delayed obedience is disobedience. But why is this so important? Why? Why is he bringing this up? Because this text, it, 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 it's what it does if we behave in such a way. We make these plans without involving God. What it's doing is it's elevating man. It's elevating the creature over the creator. It views ourselves as the final authority over our lives. And then living like that's true. But it's not true. So that's one of the problems that we see here. Notice, again, that in the text that was read to you, God has been left out of the plans. Completely left out. So if you leave God out of the plans, or you're not even talking about God, again, we're talking about a businessman going on a trip and doing all these things. Now, listen, he, he's not giving God any room to interrupt his life. He's not giving God any room to alter the plan. Now, God will do what God wants to do, but there's no room here for God. He's saying, I, he doesn't want to be interrupted. It's just, this is what I'm going to do. And as we say often, this is stinking thinking. This is man-centeredness. It's man-centeredness. This is a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps mentality. This is a take-control-over-your-life and then possibly invite Jesus into this after you get going. Maybe. So that's what's on display here, so it's really important. 
you know, I like what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, is, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It's good, isn't it? Is that the first thing you do is pray and seek God? Or is that something you do after you get yourself into a mess? And I think we're all guilty of both of those things, but let's not stay there. Let's learn and be obedient to what God's word says. But I like what one author said about verse 13. These are not my words. I've taken it from another. But here's what one person said about verse 13. He says, the plan was constructed. So we see today or tomorrow. The plan was constructed today or tomorrow. The place was chosen. We will go into such a town, such and such a town. The period that he speaks of, this businessman, is calculated. He's going to spend a year there. The purpose is considered. Uh, he's going to go what? The purpose is to go buy and sell, right? And the profit is computed and made a profit. Again, no mention of God in any of these plans. You ever made a plan without God and found out that it wasn't a very good plan after all? Right. Of course you have, if you lived it all, right? So James is on the attack again. He's like a junkyard dog on a bone. And unfortunately, it's us. He's taking a piece out of us, right? So he's firm, as he always is. He's dogmatic in that the making of plans without God is a bad idea. But now James, in verses 14 and 15, details exactly why that is. And look at 14 and 15 as I exegete this for you. Again, let's go, I'm going to read 13, 14, and 15. But we're going to look at 14 and 15. 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Okay, now look at 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Let's just pause there. What a question. What is your life? Not your neighbor's life. Not somebody else. What is your life quote? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So what I see in the text is three detailed reasons why this stinking thinking is immature of a believer to think this way. Remember, making plans without God is stinking thinking, right? Remember again, the primary audience for James is the church. That's the primary audience. It doesn't mean there isn't a secondary audience there. So he's speaking to the church. There's an assumption here that these are believers, okay? So what are these detailed reasons that he gives? Well, he says it's stinking thinking. You're immature in your faith. If you, if you do not know, you make these plans, and then in verse 14, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. Or, again in 14, that you forget that your life is a mist. Or, in verse 15, that you have no right to ignore God's will. This is immature thinking and not becoming of a Christian. Let's break this down a little further. Again, going back to number one, you don't know what tomorrow will bring there are many of you that grab this pro probably perfectly because you have the experience with this verse but the idea here in verse 14 is tomorrow is uncertain you know 
we don't like to think this way, but we ought. This could be our last day on earth. We could be perfectly healthy, drive home, and we can get into an auto accident. We, we, can, we could be paralyzed. Your business could be shut down by the government. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Maybe even the loss of a child or a spouse, someone you love. I just like to give examples, and the reason why I'm going to give examples is I think sometimes, as a pastor, when we just give examples, we forget that we, we make the examples of things that are outside. But we need to give examples inside the church. One, so that we can understand what people are going through or have gone through, or just to realize that it hits home. Let me give you a few examples. Miss Tony, would you please stand up for a second? Miss Tony's dear to me. Her husband, over 50 years ago, died of a massive heart attack. She raised her kids on her own. That's Miss Tony. Go ahead and sit, Miss Tony. My new friend, Charlotte. Charlotte, would you please stand up? By the way, this is Charlotte. She's our, my Uber driver this week. Say hello to Miss Charlotte. Yeah. So, Miss Charlotte, uh, she lost her husband about 20 years ago of a massive heart attack, correct? Unexpected, correct? Thank you, Miss Charlotte. Lisa Graham, would you please stand, Miss Lisa? This is Miss Lisa, our dear friend. Miss, Miss Lisa, she watched her husband this year come to the end of his Parkinson's. She watched that. She was by his side. It was, death wasn't, she knew death was coming, but didn't know it was going to come in that way. Miss Lisa, thank you, hon. Kay, please stand up, hon. Your precious husband, Seth, died of cancer-related issues, right? Okay, please have a seat. And then Vicki. Vicki, come up here for a second on the stage with me. Vicki is becoming a good friend of ours. But this lady right here, uh, she's really special, not that these other ones were, but I, I want to share this with you. She, has, she had one son. One. Her son was in the military. He was part of the army, deployed uh, to Iraq with the United States Army, and he died serving his country at age 21. That is not what Vicki thought was going to happen. It's not even close to what she thought. When she got that call, she would feel the way that many of you think you would feel, and probably a hundred times worse. We have no guarantee of tomorrow, so you don't have to tell Vicki or any of these other folks that life is short. But Vicki, what I do want to do is just uh, honor your son, and I'd like to just clap for him and thank him for serving our country. Yeah. Thank you, him. Thank you, sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. Get to know her. You just never know who's going to be in the room. You never know that your Uber driver might be coming to church with you. You just never know. Life is short. We've got to live like it. And it's a good thing to live like life is short. That's what God wants of us, right? So you don't know what tomorrow will bring. But the number two here is your life is a mist. Your life is a mist. Verse 14, life is not just a mist. It's, it's just it's like that vapor when you breathe out of your mouth when it's cold. It's like you see it for a second and it's gone. That's the depiction here. It's quick. It, it, it goes really, really fast. You're, you're born one day, and the next thing you know, you're gone. 
The psalmist reminds us of some very profound words in Psalm 90, verse 12. As we learn, so teach us. Christian, this is for all of us. Teach us to number our days. Why? That we may get a heart of wisdom. It's, it's a wisdom for a man or a woman of God to live this way. It's wisdom. I like this poem by Henry Twells as it says what I'm trying to illustrate to you well. He says, When as a child I laughed and I wept, time crept. When as a youth I waxed more bold and time strolled. When I became a full-time man, when I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older, when older still, I daily grew and time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on time gone. Did you know that outside of 50 years that the majority of people in this room will be dead? They're going to spend eternity someplace. And I don't want that to be more, but I want to encourage you. I want you to be thinking about where you're going to spend eternity. I wonder how many people in the next 10 years will no longer be with us, spending eternity someplace. So it's important to think about the things that we don't like to think about. But the third point in verse 15, it says, you know, we could summarize, you have no right to ignore God's will. If you're in Christ, we expect the world to ignore God's will. They're not saved. They don't have a new heart with new desires. But for the Christian, you have no right to ignore God's will. Remember, this is a letter for the church. So if you have no right to ignore God's will, then what are we supposed to do? Well, the answer is in verse 15. Instead, so don't do that, but do this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's his will be done, not ours. So the old self is dead. We die to the flesh. We die to our old world system. Paul was a very, very good preacher and teacher, a very good leader. And he would say oftentimes the very thing that this text is depicting. And here's some of the examples he gives us. This is the Apostle Paul. I'll read Acts 18.21, where Paul says, I will return to you if God wills. And then he sets sail uh, from Ephesus. Or what about 1 Corinthians 4.19? But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. So what we're learning here is got to surrender is the new self. As a believer, you're a new creature. So surrender is who you are. It's who you are becoming. We have to die to that old way, and it's hard to do. It's not easy, but it's his will be done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that famous quote goes like this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I mean, you talk about a way to explain surrender. Leonard Ravenhill said this, he said, there are three persons living in each of us, 
the one we think we are, the one other, peop- uh, the one other people think we are, and the one God knows that we are. In other words, we can't get over on God. His word is meant to help us and guide us, instruct us. He wants to help us. Now, the Lord is not against, uh, just to make sure for some of you planners out there with your binders that uh, lets you mark off every 10 minutes of your day. My goodness, if that's your person, do not come near me. (laughs) We would be the opposite is the point. But the Lord is not against you if that was you. Not at all. He's not against any of us making plans. It's not what he's not. He's not against that. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 16:9 says, "The heart of man plans his way, uh, but the Lord establishes his steps." Like plan, but give it to the Lord. Right? We are a people that are called to make plans. However, submit those plans to the Lord for His approval. And remember. Some of you are just going to say amen, so I'll just say it, and then if you agree, just say amen. God is excellent at interrupting your plans. Amen, Amen, right. That's for sure. But when we live in such a way where it's God's will be done, it reflects a heart attitude. It's reflecting your heart. It's, It's recognizing the sovereignty of God as he rules and reigns over your life. So it's humility. It's humility. When we live in this way, when we surrender, when it's God, your will be done, uh, it is acknowledging our total dependence on God, which would be the exact opposite of prideful or arrogant living. It's the opposite. So don't do this, do this, right? So that's what's in play here. And there's some really, really heavy, weighty things coming up in this text that really ministered to me and convicted my wife and I, and I I suspect it's going to convict you as well, but I also pray that I don't leave you there, that you'll be encouraged, because we're going to talk about what to do with it. But I want to recap so far. Uh, Number one, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, verse 14. Uh, Your life is a mist, verse 14, and verse 15, you have no right to ignore God's will, the Christian. So let's examine our final two verses, 16 and 17. Take a look at the text. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and then fails to do it for him, it's a sin. That's heavy. Wait till we break this apart. To live in such a way, what way? To live in such a way where we disregard the Lord is not just arrogant, it's also evil. It's evil. That's not a a word that many of us would use to describe a person who makes plans without God. If you bought a car, was God in that plan? You bought a house, was God in that? What you chose, do you choose to spend your time? I mean, we're talking about completely surrendering ourselves to the Lord. So 
when I looked at this text, I said, man, evil, that's a really strong descriptor. You know, when I think evil, I think of, uh, you know, what's going on in, uh, uh, you know, in Russia and all that stuff right now. Or I think about the godless community that we live in right now. This world is just godless. I mean, I see that as evil. I don't like to think of myself as evil because I'm, I'm a born-again believer. But he's saying it's evil when you go and make plans and don't surrender those plans to the Lord. It's evil. So it's a harsh word, and it, and it should just step us back a little bit and just make us go, wow, I never really looked at it that way. I know I didn't, and I've preached this before. I like what Kent Hughes says, and I quote, So pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God that even many Christians attend church, marry, choose their vocation, have children, buy and sell homes, and humbly and mumbly ride the currents of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. Interesting. I think the point, or at least one of the points that James is driving at, or better said, warning us about, is we all have the propensity to do these things. We all can be consumed with the material realm. Not just material things, but the material realm, the things of this world. And when we start living in such a way, what happens is we become blind to spiritual realities. We then start living our lives for the temporal rather than what? Rather than, not that we live temporal rather than the eternal. So again, he's speaking to the church. Someone's fallen into some traps. And he's warning the congregation. Someone's falling into these traps. The point is, if we are to be a people who live for the Lord, if we're to be a people who our mentality is to be for the Lord, to live in such a way that would honor the Lord based upon this text, it's going to translate this way, that I need the grace of God. You need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. I need a touch from the Lord. I need the grace of God in this situation. And you're also dependent on God and his will for my life. You want him to intercede into your life. You trust him with your life. That's what James is saying. So a couple of questions I have for you and also for myself is, is your faith humble before the sovereignty of God. On this day, is your faith humble before the sovereignty of God? And then the second question would be, is your faith obedient to the will of God? Or are you busy making plans without God, which is evil? I want you to think a little bit about King Saul. We talk a lot about David, as we should. But what about King Saul? Well, in 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14, it tells us, and I'll just paraphrase, that Saul, as a king, did not keep the word of the Lord. Saul did not obey the Lord. 
not only did he not consult with God for the plan, remember, he's the king. He no longer is going to God. As a matter of fact, he not, not only does he not go to God, he starts what? Dealing with like fortune tellers. He consults a medium. I mean, he goes completely in the wrong direction, but I wonder where he started. I think he's a long way off from where he started. It just starts with a little, with a little compromise here and there, and before you know it, you're reading tarot cards in Santa Monica. <laughs> They'll be gladly take your money and tell you a bunch of lies. So the Lord, what did the Lord do? Like, that's yeah, okay, Saul. Like, you know, if you want to go, you know, hang out and uh, have Dion Warwick read your, uh, your, your horoscope or whatever, no problem. No, he, it says he took his life. It was deadly serious. So the Lord took his life. Look it up, 1 Chronicles 10, 13 through 14. Why? Because he wasn't faithful. Let me give you some application. I want us to think about not just what we heard, but how can we apply this to our lives? I think in order to do that, we just look at verse 15. I think that helps to us to apply to our lives. Let the Scripture interpret Scripture. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as we consider that verse, let me ask three more questions. Just think about this. Where in your life right now do you need to relinquish control? Another question, have you surrendered all, as the song says, or have you surrendered some? And then here's the follow-up to that. What are those things that need to be surrendered to God? Now, name them, repent of those things, and ask God to help you. He will. You've got to tell on yourself. The Holy Spirit will tell on you. This is the beauty, one of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit is it convicts us over our sin. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Here's something to consider. Just think about what you've heard today. This is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. And I can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to penetrate your hearts. How did God's Word minister to you today? Just think about what is it that's sticking, that you're thinking about right now? And then what will you do with what you heard? How will you respond to the Word of God today? The Bible says in James 4.17, you may have heard, I read it already, you may have heard this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and then fails to do it, for him it is sin. So to not do these things would be sin. To continue to hear and not respond and obey would be sin, right? So we need to be a people who are humble and confess to God. We see that. A humble heart is a grateful heart. A humble heart is an obedient heart. And the sovereignty of God that's carried in your heart is loving. Its actions are loving. It's going to produce a harvest of good. You're going to produce much fruit with this type of thinking and living. So it's not just what we think, it's how we live. It's faith in action, right? So you may have heard this said before, but it's so true. Where God leads, he feeds. Where God leads, he feeds. Where God directs, he protects. Do you believe that? Where God guides, he provides. 
To know him is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To obey him is to be blessed by him because we believe as followers of Christ that his ways are better. I would also ask us to consider Micah 6, 8. It will not be on the screen. Maybe just write it down for reference later. Micah 6, 8. This is so sweet. My wife gave me this verse today. She said, would you consider this verse, this verse today? Now that I consider, I said, let's get this in. Micah 6, 8. God has shown you what is good. Let me just stop there. When you read the word of God, God is showing you what is good. Again, Micah 6, 8. So what is it? This is the question in there. So what is it the Lord requires of you? Micah 6, 8. And the verse continues, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord or before God. Humility, the opposite of pride and arrogance. Humility, I need help. Humility, I've messed this thing up. Humility, I was wrong. Humility, help me again, God. It's a deep, rich word. It's helpful. Brothers and sisters, my prayer as we go through this book is that you wouldn't just hear, but you'd respond, that you'd put your faith into action, that you'd be obedient to what you hear, be encouraged by what you hear to know that God can help you. Let him do that for you. He will. In Africa, a former Muslim was converted to Christ. His friends, his Muslim friends, they pressed him. He says, they said, why would you put your faith in Jesus? He replied, if you were lost and came to a fork in the road, not knowing which way to turn, but found two men, one dead and the other alive, who would you ask directions from? That was me, he said. The two men were Muhammad and Jesus, so I decided to believe the live one, and he, pro- he, and he pointed the way I should go. But he continues to point the way that we should go, even after salvation. So a question would be, as we consider this text, what road are you on? Are you living like there's, you got a tomorrow? You shouldn't. What direction is your life heading in right now? And is it time for Jesus to point you in the right direction for the first time, the second time, or the hundredth time? Jesus said these words, and they're profound in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God, Jesus. Not all roads lead to heaven. Just one word according to Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus was sent to this earth to die and to be our Savior. But like any gift, but like any gift, the precious provision of God's Son to die in our place is not ours until we receive it personally. It's personal. But then in John 1, 12, it says, 
But to all, I hope this is you, Christian, believers, everybody, friends in this room, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Response. So by virtue of the death of Christ on our behalf, Jesus now offers a full pardon to those who ask him for it. He takes your sin away. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So God offers this free gift of forgiveness. He offers us eternal life for those who repent and place their faith in him. To move out of arrogance where I didn't do anything wrong or I'm a good person according to what I believe to be good, but to say, no, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I lay down my pride and I trust your will be done. Brothers and sisters, as the old song says, to be undecided is to be decided. And it's true. 